Scott Wolnuff is an actor, singer, director, and father based in North Central Pennsylvania. He currently serves as the artistic director for the Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre, currently in its 98th consecutive season, and has 39 years of experience with theater at all levels, performing in professional and amateur productions across the U.S. and in two foreign countries. He played Huck Finn in a national tour of Tom Sawyer, and played Rosencrantz in an off-Broadway production of Hamlet. Currently enjoying theater strictly as a hobby, Scott is currently employed at Miscordia University in Dallas, PA, where he has worked as a disability services coordinator since 2009, having previously worked in the New York City education system in the Bronx as a special education teacher and dean of discipline and security. Scott is also a proud veteran of the United States Navy, having served in both Operation Desert Storm 1990 and Operation Desert Freedom 2001 to 2003. He now lives in Wilkes-Barre with his amazing fiance Jessica and spends a lot of time with his son Colin, 13, and his dog Nameth, 10. He can be found on Instagram at littletheaterwb, that's theater with an R-E, or via their website, ltwb.org. So how are you? I'm good. I'm well. Things are as, as well as they can be in this uh, new environment. Misericordia? Close. Misericordia. Yep. Okay. We make a note of that so I don't get it wrong again. Yeah, I mean, it's Italian, so misericordia. Yes. Misericordia. 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 <laughs> <laughs> You've done so much already, uh, although, <laughs> you know, I guess we're, we're of an age where we better have done something. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> so share with us, if you would, what your artistic vision at this juncture is and how art, in, in the various forms it's become a part of your life, entered your life. It entered my life as a hobby. It was something that I just enjoyed doing. Um, the, uh, the, the way I got started in theater, I was 10 years old walking in the supermarket with my mother and this director says, hey, does he do shows? And of course the answer is no, you know, I've never even, probably never even been to the theater at that point. And um, so she, he would be perfect in this production of Christmas Carol that I'm doing, Tiny Tim and blah, 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 blah. And I got in there and I loved it, got bit by the artistic bug right away. And it was just something that was always there. Um, I went to, I ended up going to a performing arts high school. Um, I ended up um, doing like local commercials. I was a local celebrity and it was just something that was a part of me until it came time for high school to end. And um, I had a conversation with a guidance counselor. I was all ready to go to college and study theater and, and do that for, for a living. And um, my guidance counselor, I very distinctly remember him saying that people from my area, I grew up in a very rural town. I grew up in Madison, Alabama. And, um, and people from this area don't go to college. People from this area go to the military and that's what you should do. Okay, sure, um, fine. And so I ended up going to the military and um, even in the military, um, theater, all of a sudden, just, you know, um, you notice on my resume there, on my theater actual resume, um, Yokosuka, Japan, that's where I was stationed. And I ended up doing community theater. Wow. In and, you know, and so it's just one of those things that just kind of always permeated. And that's what I, and, you know, once I got involved in theater in Japan, I said, okay, I need to do this now. This is keeps finding me. So even though I was considering a career in the military, I got out and I went to Florida State University. And so that's where I, uh, I started my, uh, my theatrical education. And as most young, stupid actors do, um, I thought I knew better than my teachers. And um, I felt I was wasting my time at, at Florida State. And I said, you know what? 
I'm not going to do this anymore. And I moved to New York and I just did it. I jumped into the deep end. And that's kind of how I've always lived my life. You know, I jumped into the military without really, you know, thinking about it. I jumped into New York City without really thinking about it. I jumped into the Board of Education without really thinking about it. You know, it's just, it's, that's how I've always kind of lived. But, um, and so when I got to New York, um, I, luckily I had a job. I was working at a bookstore in, uh, in Tallahassee, Florida, you know, by, um, by Florida State. And it was B. Dalton. And, uh, B. Dalton is kind of defunct now, but B. Dalton was bought out by Barnes & Noble. And B. Dalton had a branch in New York City. And so I just transferred up. Um, I nailed my very first audition. And that's when I went on tour with Tom Sawyer. And so here I'm thinking, I made the right decision, right? I, you know, I nailed my first audition. I'm doing a national tour. This, I mean, this is, this is, this is cake. This is easy. And then I got back from the national tour and things weren't so easy. And, uh, you know, I kind of got uh, involved in the party lifestyle a little bit and, um, that's when I decided, I, I, um, I guess I was 29 when I went back to college and said, I'm going to do this for real now. So, um, but as far as artistic vision is, is what you were saying is I want to educate through theatrical pursuits. My main focus as artistic director of Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre is to make sure that the art is not lost. What I see often is a lot of companies, um, particularly community theaters, they put on shows, they put on shows, they put on shows, but they, there's very little teaching being done. And, you know, the, the, uh, the respect for the craft being done. In the, today's climate, shows are so expensive to produce for community theater companies, and there is such little capital there. And I understand why all these theater companies, they need to put on the show because that's where they get their money from. And so I get it. I understand. But um, that's not where my focus is. My focus is when I'm, when I'm directing and I see a young actor, I make sure they understand the craft of creating a role. And, the, the under, and, um, and that's kind of where my goal is now is making sure that all those values that have been passed on to me throughout the years are now being passed on to the next generation. I didn't move around. I stayed in the same basic geographical area, but I went to 13 different schools in 12 years. And so I was constantly having to make friends. I was constantly having to just introduce myself to people. And that created my personality as much as anything else. And being able to interact with all those different personalities, and especially in the military, when you're just kind of thrown in from these people that are from all over the place, and you, you know, you're working side by side with them and you're living for them and you're dying for them. You know, it's, it's different. And being able to, um, to pull from those experiences as well helps you as an actor mm. or director. So, yeah, you know, you know, what's interesting is that you're not the first person I've known who has been both an artist and former in the military. And it's interesting, as someone who was brought up by hippies, like I, those were two worlds that I didn't think would, were connected. I moved to San Diego. I spent 13 years in California, and San Diego is a big military town. Every mm -hmm. branch. I spent in San Diego. Oh, great! Yeah, so I still have good friends that that were based there initially, who are artists. Share, if you would, how the military became part of your life. I know you said you just jumped in, but how did that actually go? How did that happen? It came from that guidance counselor. Um, you know, because that I just thought that, that was what I was supposed to do. Um, the, uh, when you are, you know, growing up a rural in rural Alabama, you know, um, where not a lot of your peers are going to college. Um, uh, it, it's just one of those things that I said, okay, this is not, that that's not going to work for me. So I need to find out what is, 
I, I mean, and honestly, if I think back, the, the thought process was, I'm not sure what I want to do right now. I'm told that I can't go to college. So I don't know anything else to do. So I might as well go to the military to figure it out. Now, it was 1989 when I made that decision. We were at peace. You know, the, uh, the Cold War was winding down. It was, you know, it was kind of a, a time of prosperity. So I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to join the Navy because at least that way I can see the world. I'm just going to travel the world and I'm going to see all these different other places. And, you know, I'll just bide my time. And if I like it, I'll stay. And if I don't like it, I'll leave. And then shortly thereafter, you know, 1990, all of a sudden Iraq invades Kuwait. And that's a whole different ballgame in the military. I was still very much entrenched in the military way of thinking. You know, um, we went in there and kicked their ass in what it was, I forget what it was, 42 days or whatever it was. We scored the touchdown and that's, you know, high-fiving each other and that was great. Um, but it wasn't until later in 2001, Operation Desert, uh, Desert Freedom, where I spent three consecutive summers in the Iraq theater, whether it be Bahrain, Kuwait, or Iraq, when I realized, okay, we didn't score the touchdown. This wasn't over. And that's when I decided I was getting out of it, getting out of completely. Before, even when I was acting in New York, I was still in the reserves, you know. And so I was still, you know, doing my, my one weekend a month and my, you know, two weeks in the summer and what have you. And so I was doing that that entire time. Um, if I was involved in a show, I could waive it. And they didn't, you know, because I'd already done my military service, my actual active duty. And so I didn't have to go. I just wanted to go. But it wasn't until after 9-11 and I started, you know, really starting to, to see what was not going on over there. Much more importantly, what was going on over there, what was not happening. And I said, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. I can't be part of this machine. And that's when I got out. Because you had this, this vision throughout your life, this artistic vision, and this, I think, curious explorer vision, right? Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. So, so there's a kind of like a, similarly between the two of us, like a, a real thirst for experience and um, a love for what life can provide. You're fulfilling your artistic dreams by running a theater and being involved in shows when you can and helping educate and you're really enjoying that. Plus you're taking care of disabled people. What's happening to you as a creative spirit during this quarantine? If you ask me that question today, I'm going to give you an answer today. But if you ask me this question two weeks from now, it would be a completely different answer. And the reason for that is because of the nature of my job, a lot of these students with, um, with intellectual or cognitive difficulties who are in college, it is my job to assist them in their, in their college pursuits in, their, in, in, that, in, that, uh, in that way. And now they have been thrust into this online environment. A lot of individuals um, with autism do not deal well with change do not deal well with things that they're not prepared for. And God bless, this is the epitome of that. And so what my job has become is to find those artistic, creative ways to make sure they are staying active in their education and not shutting down. And so all of my energy these days is going toward them. And because I'm having meetings like this, you know, like, like you and I are having now, where we used to be in the same room face-to-face, -face, where I used to be able to sit next to them and help them, you know, figure things out. And now I can't do that. And I'm, I'm, we're very, very isolated from each other. And it's not the way my job is supposed to work. And so I need to find those 
you know, I'm using that creative outlet to help them and make sure that they're staying on point. Now they graduate or they, they, uh, they finish for the semester tomorrow. And so all of a sudden on Monday, I'm going to have all these creative juices flowing and know where to put it, you know, because they're done. And so it's going to be what I'm looking forward to is seeing where that takes me on my little personal journey, because I, I mean, I have been 100% focused on them to the point where I'm mentally exhausted at the end of the day. I mean, I don't even recognize quarantines happening because I'm online with them from eight to five and then I go, I go to sleep, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, then that's going to change next week. And then I am done for the semester June 1st. And so we'll see what happens then when I have all day to, to figure things out. There's a novel brewing. Um, and so it has been brewing for, for years actually. And so it's, it's, it's in there. I just need to get it on, you know, regurgitated onto a page. And so, um, that's what I'm looking forward to is having that kind of time, you know, and, and hopefully the kind of drive that's coming with what I'm putting into work right now. And if I can, if I can just refocus that onto a page, I, I should be okay. Hmm. Uh, what is the potential novel going to be about? Um, it's, it's, well, funny enough about a, a one man's journey. He's uh he, he finds out that things where he is are not what he thought they were. And so he just decides to go for a walk and that walk takes him to his childhood home, which is, you know, again, I mean, this is thinking this out loud, you know, we're talking, you know, walking basically the Appalachian trail and the, that journey that, that takes him there. Um, you know, no money, no food. What happens when you're, you're in, invested in a society where material things matter and all of a sudden you thrust yourself into a world where they don't and what kind of people you meet along that way. You and I met when you were already an integral part of the theater scene in your area when we were rehearsing for Assassins. So first of all, the auditions, Adam had already been working with us at a different theater company in a different area on 1776. He couldn't wait to be in that show again. I think he's done it three times now. But mm -hmm. he had developed a sphere of very talented friends. And so when he said he was going to be directing a show, not only a show, but Assassins, which he was one of the people that in my novice turned me on to it, it was a no-brainer. We all knew we were going to be going out there to audition. So you walk into the room, you've got much longer hair, much longer facial hair. And I remember going like, who is this guy? <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> like, no judgments, just, yep, this is not your average bird, you know? And I'm not your average bird. So I certainly <laughs> could, I could appreciate that. And then you started acting and I was like, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Like, I cannot wait to work with this guy. But then there was a rehearsal before performances. I think you may have just come out and sat next to me and just started talking or something. But I remember sharing that you knew I'd started to pick up some professional gigs. And I think it was like a commercial here, a film there, or something like that. And so you shared with me about having been in the union and having been on tour and making a living at it, but that a custody battle all of a sudden changed your life course where your options were either follow your dream that you're loving or give that up to move to rural Pennsylvania so that you can, so that you can still maintain a relationship with your son. And so you were envious of my position of doing what you were once doing 
And I was envious of your position in a way because I'm a Peter Pan who I'm an uncle. That's as far as that's ever going to go. You know, I see pictures of you with Jessica and with your son and it's just so clear how in love you are with your family. Thank you. Yeah. If you could share with me what your thoughts are on whether I'm accurate about recalling our conversation and, and the truth of that. You, you are probably accurate in the way I, I may have um, uh, expressed it. Um, the, the reality is my theater dreams at that point were pretty much dead. Um, I decided that in, in 2003 that this acting thing, I'm, I'm going to treat it like a hobby again. Um, I did not enjoy being a professional actor um, the, uh, because when I now, I mean, because I, I love the, I love the craft, I love theater, I love acting, but when I go and audition and I don't get it, okay, fine. When I'm a professional actor and I go to an audition and I don't get it, I wonder where my next meal's coming from. I wonder if I can make rent. And I did not like that aspect of the business. Um, I would love to be a, a professional actor that doesn't have to worry about that that then I would be okay. If I was, you know, on Broadway with a, with a, with a recurring gig and I was going from show to show to show to show and I had a, a solid resume and I had a solid foundation to work from, I would be okay with being a professional actor in that environment. But where I was struggling, working, you know, that, that old adage of, you know, oh, you're an actor in New York, what restaurant do you work at? Tony's DiNapoli on 43rd. You know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that, I, I didn't like that aspect of it. And so um, in, when I went and got my teaching degree and I was chosen as one of the uh, New York City teaching fellows right out of college, and that was 2003, I said, that's it, I'm done. And so the, what I gave up to come to Wilkes-Barre to follow my son um, was New York City lifestyle. Because at that point, I was, I was making very, very good money in the Board of Education system. Teachers get paid very, very well. Dean of Discipline and Security gets paid very, very well. And so I was, I was doing okay at that point. And I was enjoying New York, and I was enjoying my friends in New York. I met my wife, my now ex-wife, and we had Colin. And she decided that she wanted to live close to her parents, who live in Wilkes-Barre. And so... Um, I said that I had to make a decision at that point. Do I stay in New York and have this remote relationship with my son mirroring the relationship I had with my own father? My father was from New York, um, Long Island, actually. And, you know, my mom went to, to, to live next to her parents in Alabama after the divorce. And so I said that, that was the relationship I had. And I know the relationship with my father was harmed because of that. I said, I'm not going to be my dad. I'm not going to do that. And so wherever my son goes, that's where I go. And so now I'm here. If you could, like, how would you describe Scott before and after fatherhood? It's nice that I do not have to do a lot of the things that a full-time parent has to do. I mean, I, I, you know, she still has custody of my son. Um, I get him, you know, you know um, once a, a weekday and I get him every other weekend. And so when he comes over, it's playtime, you know, it's, it's, you know, I get to be the cool dad, you know, and so I don't ever, it's, you know, I still discipline and we still talk about those serious, serious um, topics, but for the most part, I get to still be Peter Pan, you know, um, we still go out and we play, you know, Nerf guns and we still, you know, I throw them around the pool and we, I, you know, I, I do all the, all the fun things dads get to do. 
and very rarely do I have to be the bad guy. And so um, that is that is wonderful. Um, I would I, uh, I I don't mind playing the bad guy. I have to you know if I have to play the bad guy, I do. But um, it's one of those things I don't have to do, and that's what's what's nice. Um, but the um, the Scott before even before um, marriage was a lot more carefree, a lot. Um, I was told when I was in Japan, I went to see a soothsayer and I was told that I was going to be very successful in my chosen career, but I was going to die before I turned 30. Okay. But so once I turned 31, 32, I figured, okay, now I'm on borrowed time because my entire twenties were spent with the idea I wasn't going to live much longer. And so, um, you know, I probably did a lot of things, even in high school, I did a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have lived through. But um, the uh, once I became a parent, now I'm now, if I were to do something stupid and kill myself, you know, out of stupidity, this is affecting other people now. This is affecting someone else. This is affecting someone who needs me um, when they're 20 and trying to figure the world out, you know, um, someone who needs me now. And so you, you definitely start living your life a little more closer to the vest. Um, like, I mean, look at the choices I've made. You know, I never would have chosen to live in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. That's, that, that never was on my radar to, of, of things I wanted to do. Look at, you know, things we've already talked about, how I love to travel. I love to go to all these different foreign countries and meet all these people. Well, I mean, I've been here for 10 years now, you know. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm meeting my, my circle. I'm still doing as much fun stuff with them as I can. But um, I would love to expand my circle. But you know what? That's not what's good for Colin. What Colin needs is me to be here. What I need is to be here for Colin. And so the, those, those decisions where, you know, 12, 13, or, you know, Colin's um, 13 now, um, 14 years ago, I wouldn't have thought anything about just picking up and going. Look what I did. I mean, I had a lucrative job in New York City. And I just picked up and left during the, you know, one of the biggest housing crises, you know, in the, this country has seen 13 years ago with the housing market, the, the bubble had, bro had burst. And so I came to Wilkes-Barre without a job. I had no place to live. You know, um, that was just what it was, you know, and I just came here and figured it out. Share with me the experience you had with the touring of Tom Sawyer and then what it was like to do Hamlet in New York. The way I fell into, I'll do Tom Sawyer first. Um, Tom Sawyer was, was so much fun. Um, and in the beginning, you know, you spend 10 months cooped up in a, you know, a tour bus with the same people, you know, tensions are going to get riled. But in the beginning, we had a great time. Um, and it was, we were like a band. I mean, we were, we, we were really, really tight. We, I mean, all we saw was each other. And so all we hung out with was each other. And plus we were doing the right thing. You know, we were inviting these schools in to, to see, live theater and it was just a, that was a wonderful experience that I would have not traded for any of the world um I was well suited to it because I'd been living out of a suitcase anyway because I'd just gotten out of the Navy you know and so I was used to that kind of on-the-go lifestyle and I saw the entire country I mean I you know we, we did all the touristy stuff and went to all the cities across the um the, the south and the southeast and up um you know, uh, we never got to the Northeast. I didn't, we didn't get up to, to like Seattle, Montana, Idaho, but I mean, I've been pretty much everywhere else um, in the United States. And so that was, that was really, really cool. Um, 
Hamlet, I kind of fell into. It was a complete accident. Um, when I was a senior in college, um, I'd gotten all, you know, this, I was a political science major and um, I had nothing but electives to take my senior year. And so I said, you know what? I was very adamant when I, when I chose my major not to um, choose anything theatrical. I wanted to get away from theatrical education completely. But I said, you know what? I'm going to go talk to the, uh, the theater department and see if I can get into an advanced acting class on my, based on my resume. And so I did. And she was, um, Dr. Bosch was like adamant about not letting me get in at all. She was like, there's, there's no way you have to take beginning acting before you can take acting, et cetera. Um, but then um, I mentioned that I had been in the military. We were just talking like you and I are talking kind of. And she just happened to be doing a production of Wojcik at the, at the university. And she wanted somebody with military experience to play the sergeant. And so she let, said, I tell you what, I'll let you in the advanced acting class if you play my sergeant and teach them the drill, teach them how to march, teach them a military bearing, et cetera. And I said, okay, no problem. You know, any, anything to get my foot in the door, right? But apparently I must have made a, uh, an impression on Dr. Bosch because she was directing an off-Broadway play that summer, Hamlet, Heart of My Mystery. Now what ha that, that did was it was a play that was written around Hamlet and what it would, it was the story of Hamlet and the, the, the dialogue, most of the dialogue was there, but then people break in and talk about what's happening in the scene scholarly, you know, um, like uh, the, uh, they're quoting scholars and scholarly works around the scene. So the scene would freeze and this guy comes out and says this and then the scene would continue. And I got to play Rosencrantz plus a lot of all the different scholars that came out in that production. And so that was a complete accident. I was not intending, I mean, it's, it's irony, irony to me that after I decided I didn't want to be an actor anymore, that's when I got my off-Broadway gig. <laughs> and so that was, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Well, you probably, you know, you took the pressure off yourself, which made you more comfortable and better at what you were doing. You, you know, you're, you're probably very right. How long was your tour and how long was the Hamlet production? The tour was 10 months. The Hamlet production ran a month and a half. Um, on Theater Row on 42nd. Nice. I also did other productions. I was uh, a long-term actor with uh, Once Upon a Time, which, um, you know, that does take some, you know, uh, children's theater to, you know, very, very, very rich people's houses. Right. <laughs> and um, so I was, that was lucrative. Then I, mean, I considered myself a working actor doing that nonsense. And I also worked with, um, the Grove Theater down at the Grove Street, um, the Grove Street Players, um, and that's in the West Village. Oh, okay. Um, and so uh, I had a long, long-standing gig. I was actually our technical director for a while. And so, and then um, I was taking a class at the HB Studios, and I met um, a woman by the name of Susan Shumsky, um, and uh, a person who loved theater and um, had more money than she knew what to do with. And we got together and. Um, created without a net theater and we started producing our own shows in new york and so she was acting as artistic director and i was acting as technical director and we produced a, a number of shows um john monteith um who uh, was a very famous um improvisation artist um back in the 70s we okay. uh, we, we we got with him and um you know we produced his one-man show we produced terence mcnally's uh, lips together teeth apart um, and just uh, shows like that. And um, uh, once I decided I didn't want anything else to do with the business, I just kind of walked away and left her, you know, with it. And so I don't know what she did with it after I left. 
um, if anything. But um, that that's what I consider the the pinnacle of my New York career is when I was actually producing. You enjoyed producing as much as or more than acting? Well, no, no. Now I would definitely say um, acting because all the pressure's off. Mm. Again, you know, when I was doing theater in New York, and again, I was a, it was a different mindset. You know, um, I was a young actor. I did not have the experience that I have now. Um, I was very, living very much hand to mouth. And, you know, I didn't, my credit score was nothing, <laughs> you know. And so I didn't have any kind of safety net at all. And so it was literally, you know, if, you know, I, I had the mentality that if I do not get this Broadway show, it just means that I'm going to be working at the restaurant. And um, a friend of mine, fellow actor said, okay, you have to go to the parties. You have to network because very few people really get roles from auditioning. They get roles mm. because they know people. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense to me. So I started going to the parties, but then I forgot the audition. And I was, I was so wrapped up in the idea of, oh, hey, hey I'm an out-of-work actor. I'm an out-of-work actor. And you know why you're an out-of-work actor? Because you're not actually trying to act. You know, you're not trying to work. And so, and that's what I kind of got wrapped up in. And, um, and that's also, you know, what that's my heavy drinking days and, and you know, all, all that self-destructive behavior wrapped in there. And finally, um, there was a woman I met when I was 29 that um, changed my life, turned my life around. She was an AA and she said, look, if we're gonna be together, I actually met her at, when I was doing work at the Grove Theater, when I was doing the technical work at the, at the, the Grove Theater down uh, West Village. Um, and she did a lot of shows there. And so we kind of hit it off and started talking. Um, much older woman than me, she was 17 years my senior, but we just, we just connected. And um, she said, look, I'm an AA. And if we're going to be together, you can't, you, you have to, you have to not drink. And I was like, okay, done. And I quit drinking that day. And well, I mean, I wouldn't say quit drinking. I, I didn't drink when I was with her, but now I can social drink and not worry about it. But um, you know, that's why she always joked that I was never an alcoholic. If I could just quit like that, then I was not an alcoholic. Okay. Even though I stayed drunk for <laughs> pretty much two and a half years. <laughs> um, but all that self-destructive behavior when I was trying to act, I really think short-circuited my potential career. It definitely short-circuited my potential, mm. period. And there's a part of me that says, once Colin has grown, once Colin is off living his life and he doesn't need me anymore, maybe I'll go back. You know, I know a lot better now. My credit's better now. You know, um, it depends on what Jess wants to do. Uh, but she makes noises that she wants to go back, you know, to, or go, you know, she, she loves New York. And so she loves that lifestyle. So, um, you know, who knows, who knows what might happen, but um, there, there's, there's definitely a piece of me that says, this is not done. This is not over with yet. And the, the upside, if there is one to, to getting older is as an actor, if you're the older you get, the, the smaller your pool gets, there's less of you doing that. So, uh, you know, there's, it, it, some of the reasons that I've gotten many of the roles I have, I think, is because I'm a 40-something-year-old white guy. Um, so there's a lot of roles written for me in theater and commercials and TV. Mm -hmm. if, if I were uh, a young, blonde, 19-year-old ingenue, I'm going to be battling every single person I see for that yep. same role. So, you know, when you're... 60 years old you wander back into new york perhaps with jessica like with your talents there's a pretty good chance that you could make something happen it's kind of you to say 
one of the other ways I seem to identify with you is that you, uh, you seem to be uh, an old soul with a kid's heart. Yep. I think that's a very accurate description. Yeah. yeah. So no wonder you're so revered in your area. Aside from your talents, you're just a great guy, dude. You're kind. Thank you, sir. And you too. Scott, I really, really appreciate that you did this. Um, oh, I'm, I, feel hey, like... I, I had a blast talking about this. It's a, one of my favorite subjects. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you are an amazing person. I thank you so much. And uh, we'll chat again at some point here soon. Absolutely, Isaac. You too, sir. Thank you so much for, for including me in this. This is awesome.